Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to The Sound of London. This is Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolf, and I'm afraid that I'm spotting a theme emerging in some recent podcasts. We've joked about it in some of them and in others that it's been the focus of what we've talked about and it is property in london and the way that rising costs are screwing with people's lives and livelihoods whether we're walking along the thames talking about properties that are being made only to be invested in new developments having serious consequences for denmark street music shops or as you'll hear today long established family businesses facing extinction because of a market that's only prepared to invest in gray this situation is not getting any better if only london had a leader of some sort maybe a politician whose job it was to try and sort this sort of thing out oh well chance would be a fine thing uh, lots of good stuff coming in on twitter thanks to jay creedy jason cobb james buller for getting behind last week's show james suggests we should do a sad and provocative podcast and call it londonist for crying out loud <laughs> thank you james we'll look into that uh, ryan murphy oh this is on the subject of the hope and anchor or the anchor and hope pub that we passed on our walk he says an anchor has been used by christians as a symbol of hope so there you go uh love the podcast as always thanks ryan we love you too and another tweet here containing important information katie graham says i don't get why n quentin wolf is so often described as gravelly voiced i think he purrs like a kitten well i don't know what sort of kittens you've been meeting katie i want to throw a disclosure in for journalistic transparency you might not think it important, but I guess I do. This week's show is recorded in a restaurant. We talk about the interests of that restaurant. During the interview, our host suggested the other guest and I stop for a meal, and we did, and it was delicious. I don't think that that's influenced the fact that I see this week's story as being really important, not least because it's symptomatic of, of something much bigger that's uh, really worrying me. But I just thought you should know that there is uh, the chance that my judgment has been clouded by the high quality of Salieri's fish and chips. Let's go find out what's cooking. Hey baby, let me take you down to a place of strange sights and sounds. You ain't never seen the light before. Just a stone throw from your front door. Hey baby, step out me. See things of the air, land, and the sea. Some creep, some saw. Down the road, jam brand store. My heart aches for some far off place. Well, hello, hello, listener. I'm surrounded by feathered masks, by velour, by couches that are painted with laughing faces and wine being poured onto bosoms. There, there are actually bosoms being poured onto. I didn't notice that. We are at Salieri's restaurant. We're on the Strand, or Strand, as we... In fact, I'm going to bring that issue up in just a second. Who better to know than the owner of the restaurant, one of the family members, Shen Sami, and Senior Development Manager of the Federation of Small Businesses, Matthew Jaffa. Hello, you both. Hello there. Bosoms aside, what... <laughs> uh, strand or The Strand? We like to call it The Strand. 376 The Strand, Salieri. Even though on the signs it says Strand... 
you know, you're the first person in 40 years to actually point that out to me. So, uh, but I'm going to keep to the strand. In fact, your address, I'm, I'm looking at your address here. It says 376 Strand. You've got me there. Well, what a controversy to begin with. Um, <laughs> Matthew Jeffer, hi. Hello there. So what do we have the pleasure? Well, I mean, we are really keen to let your listeners know about the FSB, Federation of Small Businesses, not the Russian secret service. Oh, that's right, exactly. yes. So that's always... A, so you say. Ex- exactly, exactly. So um, we always get that in as early as possible. And, you know, where better to have it than at one of our businesses that we championed so highly was the um, the main focus of the Small Business Saturday, it was the 5th of December here at Salieri's. We're here as a kind of a, a voice for small businesses and provide benefits to organisations like Salieri and, uh, yeah, we support small and micro businesses right up and down the country. Well, we'll be talking in a minute about the definition of small in small business, but I think we really need to do justice to the visuals here. And perhaps I could come to each of you and ask what you're seeing as we're in this place. It really appeals to the eye. I think it can only have been designed that way. Matthew, you first of all, what do you see? It's it's just an absolutely fantastic place to just walk into, and it's just... Without being crude, you you walk in down any street, the Strand or Strand, however you want to pronounce it, um, and you could be walking anywhere, your generic chain. But you walk into Salieri, and you feel—I don't know—you just you're taken into the theatre in in a way. It's so wonderful and opulent, as you've already mentioned, and it's just just shows and shows exactly what a small, independent, thriving business should be independent by its very nature and it's 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 just a wonderful place to be and you, you you're kind of it's an infectious place with the staff but also the owners as well shen as you look around the place and i know you've got more than a passing acquaintance with these premises what do you see perhaps uh, each morning when work starts well, we, you are in a eccentric and quite flamboyant restaurant, and I think it really does uh, reflect perhaps a little bit of our family, I'd, I'd like to think. There are actually portraits, if you look closely enough, of my father, myself, my mother, and my brother somewhere on the sofas and the ceilings um, about the place. So I'll let, I'll let you try and... Is your father you the buxom find... blonde with the wine glass? I think my mother would have something to say about that if that was him depicted by the blonde um, being having a champagne poured onto her bosom, as you say. Um, but we wanted to to create something quite unique and I think we've done that. Salieri has almost become an iconic institution I'm told, not by you know, not by family but um, by people that are passing by. So if, if one point in your life you actually have walked down the Strand, Trafalgar Square, been to a theatre show here, at one point I think in your life you will have come by and hopefully come in to Salieri, to our family restaurant. So uh, it is somewhere quite warm and inviting I hope. Yes, if you're uh, passing by then the notable thing is all the greenery hanging from baskets it's cascading down it feels very lush and as soon as you come in well the ceiling panels are turquoise and there are gold fleur-de-lis and various other patterns there's a wooden crocodile greeting you there's a trompe l'oeil pleasure gardens in the background trombones hanging it's fantastic so the gardens were really brought in by my father he loves greenery having come from cyprus about over 50 years ago to london he wanted to bring a little bit of that i think to the restaurant and you know it's great to have a little bit of greenery around you and we've been awarded year on year our contribution to horticulture in the community and last year was the best year of all where we had hrh his royal highness of Wessex come and um, view the horticulture around you, the plants and the trees and the shrubs, and congratulate us on what we've done for the community, because it really does actually bring us together. It gives a bit of a feel of of a home being part of a home yeah i mean i don't want to knock the little hanging basket next door at gr but it's a bit paltry by comparison isn't it 
<laughs> we definitely put our heart and souls into making sure that the flowers and the shrubs around us uh, are pruned and, and up to date and we kind of give a bit of a seasonal um, flavour to it as well so depending on what time of year it is but it, it definitely creates a home atmosphere and when we're talking I'm sure about the food here which I can vouch for having eaten here a few years has a menu changed much over time we'll find out and a little bit about the history of the business but the Federation of Small Businesses for focusing particularly on London what size of business do you stop at where does small end well the definition of a small is up to 50 employees and about you know 99.3% of all businesses across the UK and London are small micro businesses so, uh, does that include we hear about SME small medium yeah. uh, size enterprises does that include the M then really it doesn't you've got a micro is up to 10 small is up to 50 a medium up to 250 so when we say that terms SME you can have one member of staff you have 249 members of staff that's the issue we, we bang on about at central government level at the mayoral level to you know to say to politicians you've got to stop using that term SME because it's completely different to running a micro business to running a medium sized business and we just need to understand that in policy making to make sure that decisions don't just get made broad brush that affect everyone when in fact a micro business less than less than 10 staff has completely different regulatory burdens tax burdens on them that they just need to be fully understood really we're keen for policymakers to understand how much harder it is for you to take on your first member of staff or to you to go from a micro to small business um, and we need to make sure we, we understand that when we make policies that impact on every all, all businesses for the average member of the fsb spends about i think about seven hours six seven hours a week on red tape on tax implementation just dealing with all that nitty-gritty stuff six seven hours out your business thank you very much you could you know take on another member of staff you didn't have to deal with all that or even actually heaven forbid deal with your business rather than the actual regulatory burden on it Shen, you're nodding vigorously. I am, I am, because I mean, you know, I can, I can talk from experience that when you're a family-run business, especially, so you want to um, really do what you're good at, which is serving really good food, creating an amazing atmosphere. But at the same time, you do have to re- deal with all the red tape. And you know, as a tax-paying uh, customer, I'm highly proud of our contribution to the local economy. But it really is quite tough because day in, day out, you want to make sure that you're doing all of the policies and procedures and the payments right. And at the same time, you know, you deal with all of that legislation. And at the same time, you've got to deal with all of the stuff that you want to be known for, which is your food and your service. It's very tough, especially when you're family run. This is not a question, to, although it sounds like one, it's not a question designed to catch you out or anything. I imagine that being a family run operation, you must be tempted to kind of cut the corners as far as some of the paperwork goes, because it's presumably a slightly less formal setup behind the scenes. Mm, actually, no, because you've got much more transparency. You're, the, the, there's real focus on making sure you get absolutely everything right. And in the long term, it will catch up with you. So it pays dividends to make sure that you've got everything right from the very beginning. And that's why it's my father and my brother that deal with that part of the business where attention to detail is absolutely critical. And that's why you survive. And that's why we've survived 40 years here. Um, you've got to make sure that all of that is done from the start cutting corners is not going to pay off do you have connections with other family businesses um i wish i could say that i have a lot of connections that are family businesses we used to know many more and we don't as many now because it's been really hard for them to survive be that from recession time so i've been involved from particularly from the 1980s where a lot of hospitality based so basically cafes and restaurants were family run but the pressure of it all um, proved too much for a lot of families. So we don't know that many, particularly in our industry, as there were before. And also hospitality. 
city is not really a sector that perhaps should attract the younger generation as it used to. Restaurants were always family run, so you leave it from one generation to another, like hopefully my father wants to do that with us. We've been working here probably for carrying plates at the age of 10. <laughs> and I like the word hopefully there as well, so this isn't, this isn't a done deal. No, it's, it's not a done deal. We are suffering some um, issues right now where our landlord, big corporate company, doesn't want to see us here anymore. So, you know, as a family, we want to be here. We want to continue to be here. But the landlord, I think, is, has other visions for its shareholders. The landlords around here are hoping to pull in more brands where they feel that big brands, big chains bring in better shareholder value for the, for the owner of the investors around London. This must surely be a case for the Federation of small businesses it's exactly why we've we've kind of working closely with Salieri because the main issue going in particularly this mayoral election that our members tell us that is most impacting on them that they want the mayor to deal with is the availability affordability of commercial premises whether it be rent and rate costs or whether it be the change of usage from um, office to residential or whether it be businesses not being able to stay in the business they want to because either landlords or whoever be want to turn them into chains. And this is not just happening in London, it's happening right across the country. So the fact that Salieri is one of the, 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 was one of the part of the Small Business Saturday campaign on the 5th of December, it was the showcase business on that day across the country. They're an FSB member and we're just so passionate about the fact that they are the, one of the last, if not the last, family business that's remaining on Strand, the Strand, however you want to pronounce it. I'm gonna, I tell you, what, I'm going to let you off the hook. You can okay. you can say the Strand. The Strand, okay, on the Strand, and that's that's a that's a big statement to say that you're the last remaining one. The shop next door that I think is is it a Carfin warehouse? Is it or, or, or they used to be a Carfin warehouse? Is it's it used to be? No, we've had several chains come in and out. Um, it was W H Smith at one point, if you will remember, and yeah. uh, then it was yep Carfin warehouse. Many retailers they didn't survive. Yeah. We now have one of the chains in here next door. We'll see how long they survive. You know, I'm not. I don't want to put bad fortune on people. (laughs) Um, But the point being is that we are one of the last remaining family, longest standing in this North Bank community, actually. And and you're kind of bucking the trend because, as I was just saying, the, the six different chains have gone in next door, and they've they've rolled over. Whereas Salieri is still staying and it's a small business compared to six large chains that have come gone next door and so you're bucking the trend very much and that it shows that you are a going concern a great business and why wouldn't any landlord want to keep you well yes let me push that question because you can understand i guess the landlord wanted to get as much money in as they possibly can putting the rent up maybe but from what you were saying it's as though there's a drive specifically for i don't know franchise businesses chain businesses what's that about yes yes i think there is a there is a perverse view that investors and shareholders hold, hopefully not all of them around in the UK, that a name or a a brand chain would give you more return. So it's a perceived value, I think. And that, that's the issue, because a tenant like us who has actually been able to pay and doesn't have qualms, well, I mean, everyone always wants to pay less rent, but a stable tenant that is financially secure and has proven to be so over the case of, we've had four landlords now over four decades, why should that person not be perceived as bringing return for shareholders? Because we bring stability, financial stability. And in this environment, I think in the UK, where we always talk about economic security, surely that should be perceived as good value when you have a tenant that you can rely on. But there is a view now, and hopefully it's one that doesn't prevail in the UK, that 
brands bring you that value that you really want for your shareholders. I, I don't know where that comes from. As though Salieri doesn't have its own strong brand. I'd like brand. to think. I'd like to think. And, you know, one really heartwarming thing that's happened out of all of this, this sadness, and hopefully it doesn't end sadly, is that everybody coming to us and saying, you're an icon. You're a landmark. What would we do if we don't see you in our street anymore? And that's been really heartwarming. And, and that also shows that reputation is important and reputation brings you that value that really shareholders investors should should value it at the end of the day we were at tin pan alley a couple of weeks ago and they're facing kind of <coughs> similar issues it would seem a lot of the small music shops up there i know the listener will want to support businesses like yours that have character that's very much what this show is about so if we swing more widely what other businesses are facing these sorts of issues are, are there particular sorts of business matthew that are in a state of anxiety right now it doesn't matter where you go right across London, particularly Zones 1s and Zone 2, where it's so much harder to be able to be sustainable due to the high costs. And you mentioned Tim Pan Alley. We've got you know, businesses going to the wall on in Chinatown, you know, another community in London that's so vital um, and vibrant. You've got in Brick Lane parts of that as well that are struggling with high rents as well. So rent is a massive problem. And the other concern for a lot of businesses are in Westminster, Victoria area, is this issue of the, the conversion from office space or just changing it because it's, it's much more value for a landlord to, to change it into a high-rise residential property that's going to see foreign investors come in and thank you very much. You're going to lose um, you lose the local community and you, you lose you lose jobs in the area as well. So our message is clear. It's, it's this whole moral compass, really, of these large corporate firms that, yes, you might make a few extra pounds in, in the short term, but in the long run, Salier, companies like Salieri have been here 40 years. I'm pretty sure you've produced some good figures over the years, which is why you've been able to stay here for 40 years. So. Absolutely. I think I feel like I want to tot up the amount of rent I've paid and also the mm. amount of tax contributions I've done. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to apologise. Everything's all open and transparent. And maybe I should have been in Panama at one point, <laughs> hiding my money. But we but but we haven't and you kind of think you know where did i go wrong that's the thing you ask me about how many family businesses do i know and and you, and you think do you want to discourage that the amount of small businesses that the uk has that the economy is reliant on is about small businesses make up an absolute critical percentage of the local economy 99.3% I mean, and and 99.9% of it is actually privately owned, independent like us. But I I also wanted to say Soho is another area Mm. that is being absolutely threatened. So we're going to lose the diversity and the vibrancy that attracts visitors to London in the first place. I was thinking about what could be done and of course patronage of the shop or the restaurant or whatever it might be is a good way to go but it doesn't sound like that's actually going to do too much it sounds as though there are bigger issues at play i i I think for us what we've tried to do is we're never going to persuade a company like aviva or a large landlord on the issue when they say well their argument will be it's a fiduciary issue they're going to get hundreds of thousands more in rent for us, it's if you've got a business that's a going concern that is doing extremely well, has been there, part of the community. Um, surely that's a that's a good enough reason to to, to, to maintain a business that's already doing well, um, and just showing that element of morality, um, corporate social responsibility that they bang on. You know, you hear companies mentioning that word constantly, but actually implement it and do as you say, rather than just take it as gospel that all we need to do is make a quick profit and turn around and, and create another chain. 
Am I just going to come back on the fiduciary responsibility, which is what has been said to us by the um, chief executive of investors, um, Ewan Monroe, that he has that responsibility and that's why he'd like us to leave so that he could refurbish the unit. Another issue you've mentioned about, you know, places being turned in terms of changing use has been the legal loophole that people have used in terms of refurbishment. So any landlord in London can say, I'm going to refurbish at the end of your lease. So you'll have to, you know, pack your bags and, and, and leave. It's um, something that's been used quite a lot. So two shops just on our corner here in Southampton Street have had to leave on the premise of we're going to refurbish, you'll need to leave. Whereas the actual tenants in there were quite happy to be part of the refurbishment, just like we are now. But you're not given the chance or the voice. So as far as this refurbishment issue goes, I mean, you've had experience of uh, contractors moving in around you. Tell us about that. Oh, I can tell you firsthand of an experience of what it's like to go through a refurbishment when a, when a landlord decides to refurbish your building. Starting around 2011, we had um, a major refurbishment of Manfield House here on 376 Strand. That, that's the building you're part that's of? That's the building that we're part of, yes. Yeah. So um, we're one of two commercial um, units here. We've got each next door. Um, we went through major... Well, the building went through major refurbishment works um, for 18 months, which meant that we had scaffolding all around us. We practically saw no light. People walking past didn't even know that we were still here. People would pop their heads in, literally, and say... Are you, are you actually open today because of all the scaffolding around, uh, around us? There was no light, pure, natural light coming in. Um, we had noise, so the refurbishment happened during your working day of drills, of alarms going off. The alarms actually still go off, so if you stay a bit longer, you might hear the alarm go off um, in the middle of the day where they're still doing the testing. We had flooding, our roof fell in, um, we had burst pipe mains. Um, it was, an, you know, we were literally here on call so that we, we had someone from the family here to um, not only record and then it became eventually madness in the end because we couldn't record because the noise was going around us 24-7 but we were just here to run around to make sure that when a disaster did happen the next disaster that we could call someone to come and sort it out but um, we would eventually bring in our own private contractors to help us be that with the flooding or the damages to the roof and the doors and the noise it was incredible you could not continue your normal daily business routine because customers, quite frankly, they want a nice atmosphere to have a meal in. I don't think you come here for the drilling. Um, so we had that. So um, refurbishment is a big problem. I understand why landlords want to do it. But then when in our particular case, when the refurbishment did happen, a little unit at the back was created and a little extra space. Um, the landlord said, you know, I've got this extra space now, so I'd like to lease it out with your unit. And we said, fine, we'll take it. Absolutely, we'll make a bigger space for our um, for our restaurant. We'll get more customers in. We'll add another table there. We'll renovate because we want to renovate. As you can see, you know, parts of it are tired, but you don't want to start investing your money in if you don't think you're going to be here. Um, that's just plain stupid economic, you know, um, savings policy. Um, but now, um... hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. 
the landlords have come back to say, you know, we need you out, out so we can refurbish um, with the new unit we've created at the back. But you're thinking, we went through 18 months of hell. Why didn't you ask us to uh, leave then? And then we could come back in to a bigger, bigger, brand new unit. But really, it, I think it was a, a loophole that they, they've now going to exercise on. But my dad's a strong one and I'm an Aries and I'm told that I'm quite stubborn and we're going to be here. This is our livelihood. We want to pay the bills at home. So and it, we love what we do. We want to carry on doing it. This is scary stuff, really, isn't it? Very. And what I didn't realise before the start of this conversation is this mechanism, this kind of mindless mechanism that seems to be driving towards homogenisation, sameness, blandness. Yes. I mean, you know... I eat at Starbucks and McDonald's, but do you really want to see another one walking down the Strand um, when you next come, I mean, you know, next month? Um, how many more of the same do we want to see when you have a business that's successful, that has repeat business, that is stable financially? I'm not quite sure how stable we are emotionally now, um, <laughs> but, but do you want to see more change? And I really think if you ask the average customer, the average consumer on the street about what they want to see and where they want to visit, that they really will support independent businesses like ours and the ones that actually put the money in the till um, for City Hall and for Parliament to carry on. Yeah, I mean, uh, McDonald's, very successful chain, of course, but nobody has ever said, I went to this great place last night, <laughs> McDonald's. <laughs> no, it didn't happen. <laughs> we're going to throw a break in there. We need to make ends meet ourselves, so we're going to hear a word from our sponsors. The Sound of London, Londonist Out Loud with N. Quentin Wolf. Listen free every week on your favourite podcast platform, subscribe via iTunes, and get great extra content at londonist.com. Tweet the show at Londonist Sound and see pictures of all our guests on the Londonist Out Loud stream on Instagram. You're listening to Londonist Out Loud. I'm in Quentin Wolf. I'm just around the corner from Covent Garden. I'm on the Strand and I'm with Matthew Jaffa and Shen Sammy. And we are at Salieri's, which is something that we need to take great pleasure in while it's here. I wanted to ask about London more generally in terms of small businesses. Matthew. Can you refresh our memory regarding the numbers of small businesses going on? And uh, maybe is there some way of giving texture to how the small businesses are spread around the capital? Okay. well, in London, there's about 928,000 businesses and about 99% of those are defined as micro and small businesses, up to 50 employees. So we are quite a majority. As we say, the, the majority are in zones one, zone two. Um, of London business. Oh, I'm actually surprised. Yeah, it's, it's a huge amount, but the, the FSB membership itself is very heavily weighted on the West London and also South East London side of, of the capital. So we've got quite a big spread of members. We represent about 7,000 across the capital, 33 boroughs, and every single sector you can think of that we represent. There you've got a, a vast amount of, of tech businesses more on the kind of the east central London side of London but you've got a big hub developing in Camden as well very much digitally focused it's a real growing issue and and built on that one of our main lobbying campaigns is the is the need to make London a gigabyte city on the issue of broadband which is you'd think that being a capital city we'd have it you know sweetness and, and, and roses all you know paved with gold that broadband was fantastic that's not the case. We lag quite considerably. I was quite interested. None of that had anything to do with broadband, but that sounds fantastic. Yeah. That's it, you just described. <laughs> For our members, broadband is, is a critical issue, communications, and, and they're not seeing the speeds that are be able to compete with international you know, cities like Singapore. So that's why we're going into this mayoral election. 
very much focused on the need to to support businesses on the issues of download but also upload speed and that's where the, the problem is we don't businesses don't know have got good enough upload speeds because that's the issue they want they want to upload it quick for their clients get it to them so it's one of the critical issues at this election but probably gets missed somewhat because it's been hugely concentrated quite rightly on the issue of housing that again has become a big small business issue but i think for us what we've been most concerned of is that it just feels like housing is the only issue at this mayoral election i'd really like the candidates all of them not just uh, zach goldsmith and sadiq khan to really um, talk about what they're going to do to help hard-working families in london because you'll find you know we're here for the long term our livelihoods depend on it you know we work day in day out i you know i 18 hours a day uh, I would <laughs> how many people actually do that I mean you have to do that when you run an independent business but the candidates um, whether they're worried I'm not quite sure they're focused on the city perhaps we hear about their you know their policies that they're going to set up business advisory boards they they really want to push for cyber skills in London I, I, I get that but what about the small businesses that are run by families. I mean, that's the plea for me. I don't want to make it just about Salieri, but about the other businesses that are run by families, that they need a focus. What do you want? What's on your wish list? My wish list, well, number one, I'm going to be utterly selfish and say, please save our Salieri. Mm. <laughs> that, should, um, that should be mayoral policy. <laughs> that should be mayoral policy. I'm sure, it, you know, they're welcome to come and eat here <laughs> um, and have a look at what we've been doing as a family. I mean, you know, for decades. If, there, if you want to learn about what it's like to run a business, come and speak to us and come and speak to my father, who's actually seen people establish businesses here over the past four decades. When you talk to someone that's actually done it, then, you know, surely that should be a, a, a good case study for any of their policies what's the secret to his success um a passion for what you do and what you believe in um he loves food loves serving people we all do now it's in our dna if you do something that you're passionate about and i'm sure that's why zach goldsmith and sadiq khan are wanting to be be mayor as londoners then you will be successful i think a lot of businesses are prepared to put their lives on the line to support not just the business but the employees within it and there's many sleepless nights and you know I've been in, in employment for 14 years I haven't had the guts or the kahunas to actually go and run my own business because of the uh, the you know that fear factor and that's that's what we need and th- those small businesses like your father who just you know they work the 16 17 hour days but they're not doing it just purely for their own financial gain you're supporting the people within the business and you're supporting jobs you're supporting families um, and it's 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 just such a such a crucial issue that just needs to be yes. remembered by by politicians. And when you're a family business or a small business, um, you generally um, are going to be using your network, and that network is usually made up of independent suppliers. So then they are dependent on you. Um, just last week, actually, quite sadly, when we went to Smithfield Market because we do all of our own shopping, our meat shopping and vegetable shopping and so on. Oh, really? You go you go to the market yourself. Uh, I don't, but my father does. So he came, I can vouch, he came home last night at 5am because he did the fish run and um, woke me up in the process. I'm not quite happy about that. Um, But this is every single night. Um, Everything is bought fresh and he does that at the age of 73. I don't know how he does it. Um, But one of the suppliers said, this is the last time you're going to see me, Sammy. Um, I've gone bust. That's really sad. So small businesses do tend to support um, themselves, the independent suppliers. So not only your staff, and the families that they have to support, but also your suppliers. So it's kind of a one very big integrated community. Well, and yes, uh, pr- presumably as well, in this trade, you're slightly better protected from the risk that I know other small businesses face, which is they supply a bunch of stuff to uh, some other business, and then that business goes 
bust without having paid the invoices. Yeah, they're quite right. And and for a lot of our members, the issue of late payments is a, a, a massive problem that you, you know, you're told, for instance, that you'll be paid within 30 days by a, a large business and that gets extended somewhat. You're talking 30, then 60 days. You've got to pay your staff. What do you do? Your, your fear is if you push the large business too much, they might turn around and say, well, you know, we're not using you anymore and that's the fear element for a small business and so it's that that element of again the large small businesses working through the supply chain that we're really keen to see um, working in partnership is it the case as, as it seems to me but i don't know if this is just a result of, of increased awareness as time has gone on but on my part but is it the case that big business has gained more muscle I think it's there, and, and the, the fear is... I think the reason why organisations like the FSB were set up 40 years ago, over 40 years ago, was to you know, ch- you know, champion self-employed people, small businesses, and it's very easy for um, your McDonald's, your pret all these big companies to have big PR companies, big public affairs in-house, big departments to deal with other issues. But when you're a small business, you don't have the lobbying and the voice... Um, which is why we're here to kind of promote that voice and support organisations like Salieri, really. But I think there's good things that, that have come out of um, the last few years. I think large businesses are looking to support supply chains in certain areas around procurement. There's been a lot, you know, a lot more work in terms of you know finding ways to get more small businesses on the supply chain, and I think that's well welcome at, at a bigger business level but also public sector level as well well that's all right as long as the big company then doesn't do what they do with for example farmers and and screw them down until they're making a loss on what they're supplying and these these situations do happen and that's our our aim is to make that sure that never happens but for us what we're keen to see is on the issue of procurement is that first and foremost larger businesses pay on time um, within you know particularly within 30 days that small businesses rely on i think about 30 to 40 billion pounds of late payments still exist in the economy and that's a huge amount of money but again it's it's one of those things that maybe doesn't doesn't resonate enough or isn't getting enough exposure time because access to finance in terms of you know banks providing loans and finance is still a big issue but from what our members tell us late payments is as much if not a greater issue um, now to be able to see their, their business grow. So you just mentioned banks and financial institutions supporting um, small businesses, big businesses. I mean, what we're finding is, talking just generally from a, from a sectoral or industry point of view, in Europe, such as and we always hear the case of Germany, but I'm going to have to raise it again. In Germany, you actually have your local regions, your banks, they are almost forced to make sure that they are supporting the local businesses, small businesses in their community. So there are loans set up, there are funding, and they they're there to make sure they survive because they understand the importance of supporting anybody that wants to work and earn their own living. Now, in the UK and coming back into London, it doesn't seem like that. It seems like you're almost put into a, a mental state where you have to fight to survive. And the support, you know, we talk about SMEs and how important it is, and we heard it at the election. But really, it doesn't feel like you've got a, a person there to hug you and support you. It feels like you're there fighting in a boxing ring almost. And that has to change. Our culture has to change. Small businesses aren't there trying to say, you know, that, that we shouldn't always be seen, seen as we're complaining. Mm. You know, we should be seen as part of the structure. Well, OK, you know, this is exactly what I was talking about when I, when I said big businesses are, are being, in a negative way, empowered yes. increasingly. So, for example, it used to be 20 years ago, 
that you would go into a supermarket and you would take your stuff to the till and you'd be saying good afternoon and you'd be served your stuff and you'd leave. Now you do the work that the person at the till was doing and you have a supervisor supervising you to make sure you do your job properly. <laughs> uh, you know, with your banks, I'm, I'm very much aware that you are there to make a profit for your bank. You're not there to be looked after by your bank. This is, I think you're exactly right. This is a, a dangerous imbalance. I think that's that's why we're here, and that's why we're you know supporting independent businesses because I think you get that level of quality customer service we you do. don't get. I mean, this is the reason why we became a member of FSB, and I'm so glad that we did because FSB are basically Plug. they are they are. Well, no, but seriously, I mean, honestly, you're, you're, you you I, I feel like you're my friend now <laughs> because I see Matthew so much. Um, but um, they I, are. I, our know, voice. I notice feel like <laughs> yeah, charming, charming. <laughs> no, no. No, you are. He is. He is. He is. Honestly, the support that Matthew's given, in particular, um, from FSB, has been absolutely tremendous. I mean, we had lots of support from FSB members, um, people, um, team, but Matthew, in particular, is our almost our account director. I feel like, but they are our voice where we can't raise our voice, and that's why it's important to be a member of FSB. I wanted to dig into the nature of that relationship, though. So, you're a trade association. You charge your members. We do. We've, we're, we're a lobbying voice. That's what we were set up for 40 years ago, to lobby on the issues that Shen's already mentioned. But we, have, we also provide member benefits as well. So they say if, you, if you're a one-person business, it's a starting cost of about £130 a year, and it goes up incrementally. But we're, we're a low-cost organisation. We've got um, around 200,000 members UK-wide. Um, and we're, you know, we're here on that two-prong to provide benefits, but also to provide the voice to small businesses. Um, from my perspective as a member, I've actually used FSB for legal advice. Um, I've used them for um, discounts on some suppliers, actually. So they kind of do the um, peer-to-peer kind of introduction of um, meeting other suppliers. And very often, obviously, there are other SMEs as well. So you kind of create more SMEs, into, bring more SMEs into your supply chain. So there are several things, and you basically have 24-hour, 24-7-hour support, almost like a Samaritan yeah. <laughs> Trust me. That's what we're here for. <laughs> We focused a lot on the FSB, and I wanted to ask Sally Arium, perhaps more generally about running a restaurant here on the Strand. Of course, all the shows going on around you. I imagine some fairly crazy late night people coming through your doors. What I want to do, and this is very unprofessional, I just wanted to say something like, "Tell us some stories from running a restaurant." What kind of people do you? And of course, your brain will immediately go blank as soon as I say something like that, as mine would do. What are some of the highlight customers that come to mind? Who have you had through your doors, uh, well known or completely anonymous, <laughs> who, who stick in your mind? Um, well, from an anonymous point of view, I had a a um, very interesting session when we used to have we, well we still do actually um, some heads of statues um, along our um, sofas downstairs and uh, one um, particular interesting lady from a theatre show um, decided to stuff as many heads as possible after a few drinks too many into her bag when I, when I said they are not yours she said are you sure um, I'm sure I've seen them and I want to take them home with me they're mine um, so I've had some pretty uh, crazy scenarios um, we but you know from in terms of regulars um, Sheridan Smith just last week came along here with her family um, before she started the show Funny Girl just across the, the Savoy Theatre Martin Bell has become a dear a dear friend now um, to my fa- father and um, our family um, so broadcaster so we see him re- almost weekly now you know far too many to mention um, from across uh, you know 
from Parliament is just down the road, um, so people coming in. Problem is that my father, because he's here all the time, he doesn't actually recognise when they're uh, when they are celebrities or famous people, and they, he only does when people start taking pictures of another customer across the table. So we have told him he's got to start um, actually watching some of those programmes and those movies, going to the cinema and theatre <laughs> a bit a bit more than he has been. Have you got a policy on that? Is there a, a mode that you go into if somebody's no. uh, hassling somebody else with photographs or something? We'll politely say, have you asked that person that you can take a picture of them? Um, first of all, but you know, generally people are just here. It is like entering your home and they're part of the family and they, and they don't mind. And they're like, Sammy, that's okay. Here, they can take pictures of me. It's all right. Can I get a free dessert for that? <laughs> <laughs> we haven't said one word about the food. We're, of course, in a, a foodless restaurant at the moment because we're just before opening time. People are beginning to drift in. I can get some fragrances on the air of what might be on offer. What sort of food do you serve? Um, it's um, influenced by the Mediterranean. So it's a combination of Italian and French. Um, my dad is a trained French chef. So there's certainly influences from that and also from our background. So um, so there's a lot of Mediterranean. Um, it's lots of pasta and fish. So all of all of the favourites that we've um, seen over the years of what people keep ordering. So we fine tune it one to the season and what we can buy um, at the market. And also um, we make sure that we keep all of our favourites. We see at the end of the week we have a little tally, see what's been ordered, um, what's what's the um, most popular dish, and then we'll put that mm. to the forefront in our special menus. What's hot right now? The hamburger is particularly, hamburger. It's particularly hot at the moment. And you'll after say, everything oh, we've said. Oh, after everything we've Edit said, um, homemade, homemade um, just like my mother does it at home, it's a mix of um, beef and veal, and it's going um, particularly hot, and also the pasta at the moment too well, well that and seems a little more expected I'm a little disappointed about the beef burger being so but the traditional French beef but burger from a fr- no, but from a French perspective the sea bass is, is ordered quite um, quite a lot and we I think that's probably the most ordered from the fish part of the menu Matthew as someone who's like a friend have you uh, <laughs> enjoyed a meal here? I actually have only had canapes here which was for the 40th um, birthday you had here for the, the, yes, the so we, that's all I've, I've, I haven't actually we, had a full meal here though, unfortunately so maybe maybe after this interview, who knows? Yeah. I think that's You're both staying for lunch now <laughs> with me. But no, we recently celebrated our 40th anniversary here on the Strand, and uh, we for that we did have French canapes and, and what our chef had mustered up in his latest uh, menu. So we must uh, drift to a close. If people want to find out more about FSB or Salieri, it's very obvious what you type into Google to do that. In terms of the key issues that you're facing that you want, perhaps from the mayoral election, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, for us, it's very much focused on engaging the mayoral candidates in the run-up to the day, but also to just make sure that the issue of commercial space affordability, which is what the small businesses want and they're, they're calling for us about, is getting proper airtime alongside the issue of housing. And it's not just a simple single-issue election, really. And the big one for you, well, maybe it's hiding in plain sight. Well, you know, it, it would be a plea for me from a personal and uh, family point of view to um, save our salieri, which is a tagline that we are now trying to spread. Just let hardworking people do what they want to do. They want to work hard and, 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 and you know, support their families and, and, uh, and everybody around them. And on behalf of all small businesses in London, let's keep that diversity. Um, let's keep that richness. Um, it's what makes us quite special. And my plea is for the London mayoral candidates in particular to speak up for us. Just in close, and I don't know, maybe this is a very controversial question, maybe you won't want to answer this question, but who have you got your eyes on as a candidate? Well, from the FSB perspective, we are apolitical, mm. so we are lobbying every single candidate, and we hope 
people, well, whoever's chosen, is the small business friendly mayor, really. So we, we couldn't say which one or the other, but we are engaging with all of the candidates. Now, let me ask you, with, with, your, with your private hat on, and we're not going to name a name here, Yes. have you got your eye on a candidate who you think is the ticket? Just like the EU election, I am still open. I'm, I'm swinging. I, 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 every day I'm, I'm changing my mind. So, like I say... I, EU and the mayor election. I'm, st- I'm still undecided. I think most, like most people in the in the country, I reckon. I'm going to have to be biased and say that we, as a as a small family business who is now fighting against, uh, you know, the big corporate um, investor like Aviva to stay here, has received a lot of support from um, Labour. Um, we had Chakamuna here for our 40th anniversary. Um, I'd like to put it to the other side to come and give us some support and speak up. Is there a reason why they're not? Our constituency MP, Mark Field, has supported, but, I mean, I'd, I'd, like, to, I'd like to see them do a little bit more, quite frankly. Well, that's us for today. Thank you for having us. I'm going to hold you to the... Uh, I don't want a hamburger, though. <laughs> Ville Milanese. That's I, a, that I, I, I highly, I highly um, recommend that one, because that's what I'm going to be having now. <laughs> From Salieri, uh, Matthew Jaffa and Shin Sammy, thanks very much. Thank you. My heart That's all for this week. My thanks for this week. My thanks for this week to Matthew Jaffa and Shin Sammy. Thanks to to Bernie Barkley. Theme and incidental music was by Songs from the Howling Sea. I'm Enquentin Wolf.